Hello and welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast. I'm Jonathan Grace, and I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 Editor-in-Chief John DeGeese. John, how was your week at Road America? Hey, Jonathan. It was a busy one for sure, um, but we were treated to quite an interesting WeatherTech Championship race that I'm sure we're going to dissect here shortly. Absolutely. We've got a packed show for you today. We'll recap the IMSA Fastlane Sports Car Weekend bring you the news of the week, answer some listener questions, and give you a preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. All that and more on this week's episode of Double Stint. Well, John, let's dive right in. As you said, it was a heck of a race. It was an interesting one. It was rain-affected. We saw cautions play a role. The pole sitter, Philippe Albuquerque, in the number 10 Wayne Taylor Racing Acura, ended up coming out on top and has now taken control of the DPI Championship standings, and this is huge heading into Petit Le Mans. Yeah, he and Ricky Taylor now have a 19-point lead over um, Tom Blomquist and Oliver Jarvis. Not a lot of points. Um, that's really sort of comes down to a winner-take-all situation at, at Motul Petit Lama. Um, believe it or not, we're going to have to wait until early October for that. Um, this is was the penultimate round of the DPI season and all the other prototype classes um, over the weekend. But we saw a really interesting race. Um, like you said, Jonathan, um, Philippe started on pole, but it really didn't go to plan when the rain started coming down at Road America. Um, st- the track, I think, started sort of in somewhat damp conditions um then we started getting some light rain and then sort of came the point where the gt runners took on wet tires i was sort of left scratching my head as the prototypes um, mainly took slick tires during their first round of pit stops because the track was clearly damp it looked like there was going to be more weather in the area and um, we saw a lot of the prototypes struggle on that restart. One car that sort of came to the fore was the number five JDC Miller Motorsports um, Cadillac, a Richard Westbrook, who we found out later took on wet weather tires, and he got out into over a one-minute lead over the DPI competition. Um, Luis Delatrez in the, the Tower Motorsport Orica was actually running second overall, I think around 15 or 20 seconds behind, for a good 20 or 30-minute stretch of the race. And, and it was really interesting to see how it was starting to play out. Unfortunately, there was a yellow flag right after at that point, um, ironically for the JDC Miller LMP3 car from uh, that actually left some debris on the track. So um, that sort of erased Westbrook's huge lead at the time and changed things up again as the track started to dry, um, driver changes, and it all sort of just started mixing and matching through through the rest of the race. Um, we got dry running pretty much for the, the second half of the race, and um, it was uh, it came down to the, the number 10 Wayne Taylor Racing Acura and the number 60 Meyer Schenk Acura. Um, on the one of the final restarts, uh, Albuquerque got around Ali Jarvis, and then Jarvis ended up crashing with eight minutes to go at the kink in dramatic fashion, brought out a, a, a safety car, and the race ended under yellow. And um, ultimately, uh, the win by Taylor and Albuquerque, and then a fourth-place finish by um, Jarvis and and Blomquist was good enough for the WTR uh, duo to retake the lead as a result in the championship. Yeah, it really was was kind of a race to forget for the number 60 crew, and Meyershank Racing had finished second in five consecutive races before this, and it looked like it was going to be a record-breaking sixth for a while, especially, as you said, that gutsy 
uh, late pass from Philippe Albuquerque, and it was a really exciting to watch these two battle because uh, they were scrapping at multiple points during the race, and you know the championship implications there. We saw Sebastian Bourdais and Renger van der Zander in the mix as well. They ultimately finished on the final step of the podium, but the Chip Ganassi Racing Cadillac number 01 uh, looked very competitive as well. You mentioned the, the 05 of JDC Miller Motorsport. They looked great, especially in the wet with the wet weather tires. You saw how much of a difference that made. They opened up a huge gap, and had it not been for the yellow, they probably would have run away with it. Yeah, and, and it, they would have run away with it almost to the point where they would have had a one-lap lead, and even with the yellow later on, um, it would have been almost clear sailing for them to the finish. So it was really unfortunate timing with the way that yellow came um, for the sister car uh, that, that caused the, the had the debris on track. But yeah, it was an interesting race in, in DPI for sure. I, I, it was sort of hard to follow at times just because everybody was on different strategies and and close battles um, through the traffic and, and everything else. So um, certainly one of the more entertaining races of the season, I'd have to say. Oh, it certainly was. And that definitely extended down to some of the other classes as well. And the other prototype classes in LMP2, we saw a great scrap for the lead. Ryan Dial was right on Louis Delatraz's tail for really the last stint of the race. Uh, and it made for some very, very exciting stuff. Ryan Dial just saw an opportunity and took it. And Louis Delatraz is not someone who's easily passed, but Dial made it work in the Aero Motorsports car, ended up coming out on top in LMP2. Yeah, what a battle in LMP2 in, in the closing minutes of, of that race between Ryan DL and Louis Delatraz. Um, I, I rate Delatraz really high on the international um, sports car racing scene. He's done extremely well for himself in, in the WEC and the LMS. And you'd sort of consider Ryan as sort of a bit of a veteran these days, even though he's had a lot of success in the past. But um, I, I honestly sort of expected Delatraz to pull away from DL, but it was quite the opposite. And and it was just the proof that Ryan still has it in him um, to go for wins in, in, in close to top level prototype racing with LMP2 and um, really made a great move heading into Canada corner to take the lead. There was slight contact between the two cars, but ultimately it all worked out. There was no further action. Um, I don't think the, even the, the incident was reviewed by race control, um, but a really close battle for those two positions and high class racing came home third in the, in the, in the race after battling some early race issues with with their car um actually they ended up with the spare nose on the on the orica at the finish uh but um nonetheless uh, lmp2 usually brings in some excitement but i think it had it was even more exciting than normal this weekend Oh, it certainly was. And and that excitement carried in to LMP3 as well. With just under an hour to go, we saw the number 36 Andretti LMP3 car go off track and they were blinded by uh, one of the barriers they hit in the grass. And as they were trying to rejoin and do so as safely as possible without being able to see uh, the number 33 pulse sitting Sean Creech Motorsport LMP3 car tried to take avoiding action, but ended up in the wall, ended their day. And when it was all said and done, though, it was the number 74 of Gar Robinson and Felipe Fraga who put their Riley Motor sports car in the top spot. John, let's go in to talk about GTD Pro because this was very exciting as well. The Lexus crew, the Vassar Sullivan number 14 of Jack Hawksworth and Ben Barnacote came out on top and we saw the FAF putting pressure on them really from the green flag. Yeah, it was really a sort of a back and forth battle between the number 14 Vassar Sullivan Lexus and the nine FAF Porsche um, throughout the race. Actually surprising to look at some of the uh, stats post-race, um, the 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 Vassar Sullivan Lexus actually led almost all, but I think like 12 or 14 laps of the race. So sort of shows how dominant they were in a controlling fashion, but it was really close between the two cars um, uh, throughout the running. Um, 
the the FAF crew ended up taking a three stop strategy, um, uh, two stop strategy for the Vassar Sullivan Lexus, and that's what ultimately sort of put them in the, a good position to the end. Although um, you know, speaking to Ben Barnacote post race, he had to do some fuel save. They did an hour seventeen on their final stint, the same as the Corvette. Um, ultimately, a lot of that was run under yellow, and, and the race obviously ended under yellow too. So it wasn't as much of a fuel save as it could have been. But the interesting thing is Ben told me post-race that they were planning to do the run to the end, even if there was no yellow. So um, that would have put them in the winning position either way. So um, really interesting dynamics and strategy calls in, in GTD Pro. Um, still a second place finish for for Matthew Jaminet and Matt Campbell puts them still in a very good position championship wise. They continue to lead the GTD title chase um, with two more races to go because they have the GT only round at VIR coming up later this month before going to Motul Petit Le Mans. But um, certainly a, a a big win for everybody involved, the Vaster Sullivan and Lexus, their first in the new GTD Pro class for this year. And in GTD, it was the number 57 of Russell Ward and Philip Ellis who took their windward racing Mercedes-AMG GT3 to the front. And we saw some great battles here as well. Uh, we saw the Team Korthoff Mercedes with some dramas early on with a little bit of damage. And as we said, the windward car coming out on top as the, the race finished under caution at the end. Yeah, um, the top three or four cars ultimately did not pit as well um, uh, for uh various reasons because of the yellows and, and whatnot. And um, it sort of caught a couple of the other contending GTD cars out. But I'd have to say the windward car was in a very competitive position all race. Um, they had been really, really unlucky in the last few races. If you remember um, Watkins Glen when they lost their class win because of the drive time infringement, then at um, Lime Rock Park, um, having a fuel pump issue in the final corner while leading the race. Um, this time they got it done. Their first win of the season, first since um, the team's actual inaugural WeatherTech Championship race at the Rolex 24 at Daytona in 2021. And I'm um, really happy for these guys to to finally get a win in the bag because um, they've really deserved it after quite a rocky road so far this season. And you talk about the ups and downs of racing, and this, I think, certainly falls into that category, having the win stripped away and then finally being able to come out on top. Bittersweet, but this one has, has certainly got to feel good. Yeah, for sure. In addition to the WeatherTech Championship race, we were also treated to Michelin Pilot Challenge action, two rounds from the Porsche Carrera Cup North America Series, and a pair of rounds from the Lamborghini Super Trofeo North American Series as well. And uh, the three series provided some great action. Rain was involved, red flags, yellow flags, you name it. And you can catch it all on sportscar365.com, as well as coverage of some of the international series that were on track as well. As always, you can read all about it in our coverage articles and weekly racing roundup on sportscar 365 65.com. John, let's dive into talking about some of the news of the week. The 2023 IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship calendar was released, as we talked about on last week's episode, Mid-Ohio is out and Indianapolis is in. But another notable change is there's no race on the streets of Detroit for 2023, although it's intended to return for 2024. Although the WeatherTech Championship will not race in Detroit, we will see the GS class from the Michelin Pilot Challenge race there. No TCR class, though. They will have their own solo round at Lime Rock to balance out the championship. But it's just great to have a finalized IMSA WeatherTech Championship calendar out there. Yeah, um, I think a bit of a surprise with no Detroit. Um, I know there was a lot of work to try to make that happen for the WeatherTech Championship. Instead, it's going to be a Michelin Pilot Challenge race for the GS class only. Um, race length to be determined, according to IMSA President John Doonan. 
Um, the lack of the Detroit race is due to the proximity of the 24 hours of Loma and some of the challenges that some drivers had this year in getting to Loma, um, uh, in time for the test day and everything. We also have to take into account that, um, next year's Loma is the, is the centenary edition, and there's going to be a lot more buildup and more uh, pre-race fanfare and events leading into that. And I, I think the IMSA's partnership with the ACO, um, it, it made a lot of sense to sort of forego it this year. Um, John Doonan reaffirmed that it's their intention to return, as you said, Jonathan, in 2024 for the WeatherTech Championship. But we don't know what the class structure will be for that. Um, I think they're going to be sort of using um, the GS race as a bit of a, a guinea pig to see how it is, because um, obviously we're moving from Belle Isle to the streets of downtown Detroit around the, the Renaissance Center, the GM Renaissance Center. So um, certainly it'll be interesting to see how the, the GT4 spec cars fare on their first ever street race in IMSA competition. Um, it'll be the Pilot Challenge's first street race since Three Rivers, I think back in 2010. So it's been a long time for that. And I think it's going to be quite exciting. Uh, moving to your point about Indianapolis replacing Mid-Ohio, obviously that's no surprise at all because we had that news last week. What we did get was some date changes um, for some of the races. Um, O'Toole Petit Lama gets pushed back by two weeks. Um, the round at CTMP uh, pushed back by one week. And then Laguna Seca takes the old Mid-Ohio date um, for next year. So, so um, I, I think there's some been some further spacing out in the calendar that really helps teams and and, and drivers um, sort of balance out the rest of the season. Um, I think also being at 11, 11 events total, you know, the, the series is typically run 12 events. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that saves any money for, for some of the GT teams that had run all 12 events this year. Um, they're only going to be running a maximum of 11 now, um, in GTD pro and GTD. Um, again, we'll have to wait and see how that is. Um, and we're also still sort of waiting to see where Chicago fits into all of this. Um, it was quite interesting that, the IMSA sanctioned event that was announced uh, two or three weeks ago alongside the NASCAR uh, Cup Series event on the um, streets of downtown Chicago. IMSA did not announce which series will be racing there. It was actually notably absent from the state of the sport address. Um, uh, John Doonan did, however, reaffirm to us after the conference, after the address that um, they're still working on it, and they do plan to have an IMSA sanctioned series, and that all options are open. He sort of downplayed the possibility of, of the Weather Tech Championship or Michelin Pilot Challenge being one of those series, but didn't completely rule it out. So that's an interesting one, and I think we'll have to stay tuned. That's very true, and you got to think if they're going to put the effort into making a street course in, in an iconic venue like downtown Chicago, that it's going to stick around. And you know, we've talked about this already, but it could be that the WeatherTech Championship doesn't race there in its inaugural year, but then that could open the door for the WeatherTech Championship to come in in following years. Exactly. I I think that's probably a, a more likely situation right now. Um, we might see there's two TBAs on the on the support series calendars for next year, both in the VP Racing Sports Car Challenge. That's the new LMP3 series with GT4 cars. There was a TBA there um, that was initially supposed to be it during the roar before the 24. But um, based on competitor feedback, I think they decided to delay the start of the season to Sebring in March for that. Um, champ that new championship and then also the Mazda MX-5 Cup Series which has history with racing with NASCAR uh, most recently at Road America um, last month I yeah the fourth during the fourth of July weekend there so and we'll have to wait and see what actually 
what IMSA sanction series ends up racing at Chicago. But like you said, Jonathan, maybe it could be similar to Detroit where IMSA is using another series to sort of gauge to see how the circuit is and how things go before bringing the WeatherTech championship there in the future. Absolutely. And and speaking of calendars for support series, the Lamborghini Super Trofeo North American series will line up with IMSA WeatherTech championship rounds for next season. They will open as they did this year at Laguna Seca and end at Indianapolis for the Battle of the Bricks. And this should be really interesting because this means that every time the Super Trofeo North American series uh, makes an appearance, it'll be alongside the WeatherTech championship. Yeah, the last few years, um, they sort of played around with the idea of running on different, at least one event on a, on a different weekend um, to the WeatherTech Championship. This year, it was NOLA, um, originally supposed to be Ozarks um, under the SRO America weekend, and the previous year was at COTA with NASCAR. Um, but um, this time around, they've aligned um, all with WeatherTech Championship events. Um, we don't know the identity of the world final. Um, that will obviously be a standalone event for the, the single make series, um, you know, convening with the European series um, for the, the world final. Usually that's in Europe, but I, I know there's been a big push from Chris Ward at Lamborghini um, North America to have it be back in North America for the first time, I think, since Sebring in 20. 14 it i think it had to be so it's been a while um, we'll have to wait and see if that happens but um we'll probably we'll get that announcement during this year's world final at portamao in october we also saw the six race calendar for the vp racing fuel sports car championship announced this is the lmp3 and gsx which are gt4 cars announced these are 45 minute events with no pit stops as we said six rounds on the calendar for this kind of newly formatted series from imsa yeah, as I was saying a little bit earlier, it's going to kick off at Sebring, but not during the 12-hour weekend. It's actually going to be during the World Endurance Championship Prologue um, weekend, the week weekend before the, the race itself. Um, this is quite an interesting and strategic move to sort of space out the different IMSA sanctioned series um, over the course of the two-week period at Sebring. Um, then they'll be heading to WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca with the WeatherTech Championship Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, Virginia International Raceway and uh, michelin raceway road atlanta with one tbd still to be determined as as i was saying a little bit earlier when we were talking about chicago as an incentive for bronze drivers in gtd there is now the bob aiken bronze cup championship uh, that imsa will start to implement next year as we said this applies to gtd teams with at least one bronze driver and this is in place of what was suspected to be a gtd bronze mandate instead this will provide as we said some incentives the winner uh, will receive an entry for the following year's 24 hours of le mans they will get to go up on the podium as part of the championship as as well as get some additional track time allocated for bronze drivers only at each event yeah, this was a real interesting development, I think, over the course of the week, because um, we ran a story on Sports Car 365 on Monday of, of last week, um, saying that we're expecting a bronze driver mandate for the GT Daytona class starting next year. Ultimately, that is not what IMSA announced. Um, as you said, they're they're giving some added incentive to um, the existing Bob Aiken Bronze Cup status. Now they're elevated to championship status and and giving some extra incentives with with podium uh, celebrations. Um, also, uh, a change in the qualifying format and drive time that's to be determined. Um, this was basically based on competitor feedback, and um, from what we understand the the paddock really voiced their the majority of the paddock at least voiced their displeasure of going towards a full bronze mandate 
Um, we don't have the exact details on what transpired over the course of the few days from when we ran the story to when this was announced. But um, certainly there, there was um, a lot of upheaval from from some competitors, longtime silver rated drivers um, and, and others uh, in the paddock after, I think, sort of being alerted to this possibility from our story, actually, on Sports Car 365. So um, we never like to be part of the story and, and that we'd like to report the news and and be accurate. And that's where it, it's sort of disappointing to see what happened and, and transpired over this situation. But um, certainly if, if the competitors spoke and um, IMSA acted accordingly in, in sort of changing the course of the of the plans for this, then I think that's good for the sport and 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 good that it all worked out in, in that regard. Of course, there's going to be some unhappy bronze drivers who were promised that they were going to be able to have more equal competition in the GTD class um, being bronze mandated. And I have to feel for those competitors as well, because you're not going to make everyone happy at the end of the day, because there was such a divided feeling in, in the paddock about this um, mandate on, on whether they would do it or not. So um, ultimately, IMS is elected not to do it for next year. I think it's still probably in discussion for the future, but um Certainly, um, it, it made for uh, uh, quite an interesting few days, let's say that, in the build-up to the state of the sport on last Friday. Absolutely, and I think one of the one of the positives maybe to come out of this was that IMSA is, in fact, listening to some of the feedback from the community and the drivers uh, and, and trying to make a change that, as you said, may not make everybody happy, but can do the most good for the most amount of people and, and try to take into account some of the questions and concerns that the drivers may have. Yeah, and the last thing you would want is to announce something during the state of the sport, and then have to backtrack, you know, a couple of weeks later or something, saying, "Hey, we we made a mistake, and it's not the case." So, I, I think the the lesson of all this is that it's not official until we actually see it official on the on the state of the sport. Um, as we wrote, they were expected to do it, but um, things can always change in in the days leading up to it. WRT has announced that it has ended its partnership with Audi and will now run BMW's LMDH program when it debuts in 2024 in the World Endurance Championship. And uh, what a treat to have these two programs together, a powerhouse like BMW paired with a hugely impressive customer in WRT. This should be exciting. Yeah, this news broke, I think, after we recorded last week's podcast. And um, certainly, I think this is a huge development for the World Endurance Championship um, heading into 2024 when the, the BMW M V8 Hybrid will run there for the first time. We'll obviously have the the Ray Hall cars in the, in the WeatherTech Championship next year. But um, BMW obviously confirming what we had long believed to be the case with WRT um, spearheading that factory program in the WEC. Um, we're still waiting to hear if they're also going to be switching to the M4s in um, GT racing. We believe they will be because they've um, ended their partnership with Audi, which had been, um, I think, 14 years in the making. Um, so uh, quite an end of an era on that regard. But um, for sure, uh, a huge development there in the in the European and worldwide sports car racing um, news there with WRT being confirmed. We don't know what next year brings exactly for them. Um, we expect them to continue in LMP2 again in the WEC to keep their prototype program active um, and then um, debut with the, the two LMDH cars the following year in the hypercar class, which is going to be very exciting. 
Oh, it certainly will. And it's, it's awesome to see a hugely successful program like WRT taking on this big of a challenge because if anybody can do it, they certainly can. We mentioned their, their success in sports car racing and BMW putting their faith in them and probably wisely so. We know WRT is, uh, is a bit of a powerhouse. And as you said, John, this one will, will certainly be exciting. As always, you can read more about all of the headlines we've covered on the show today and more over on sportscar365.com. With that, let's move into answering some listener questions. Our first one was written in in the comments section of our previous episode from Old Trombone, who says, thanks again for all the great podcasts. How long does it take to change a GT3 car from IMSA GTD spec to SRO spec? What details do they have to change? And when I need more tools than my two millimeter wrench, and uh, I think unfortunately you would, uh, maybe a couple more, maybe a 10 millimeter in there too. It, it's quite a lengthy process just with the, the different technical specifications of the GT3 based cars in each series, as well as the uh, different balance of performance aspects there. So it is quite a, an extensive one. We know obviously with the World Endurance Championship, they're trying to uh, modify that next year and IMSA is headed that direction as well, making GT3 more standard. So there is less of a need to change significant aspects of the cars to compete in each series. Yeah, it's mainly balance of performance and then also some electrical systems, um, data loggers, um, tires, fuel. So when you start adding it all up, it does sort of get a bit extensive. I I didn't really think I wasn't going to use the word extensive. But then when you start thinking about how much you do have to do um, it, it. it is a lot of work, and um, I, I don't know the actual amount of time it would require, but um, teams have done this, um, gone from series to series um, uh, occasionally with this. Um, we know Windward um, was using a, a one of their old SRO cars after they crashed one of their Mercedes, uh, in, at a, whether it's Tech Raceway Laguna Seca earlier this year. I don't know exactly how much time it took for them to switch, but... Um, sometimes you might need a, a different fuel tank. Um, you would also need to change, you know, like I said, the data logger system, the electronics, um, uh, and and then put it into the the BOP, which is not extremely difficult because it's mainly usually just a, either some some weight adjustments and restrictor and some arrow changes. But everything does add up for sure. Our next question comes from Motorsport86, and I'll paraphrase because it's a longer question, but he says there's no one better than John Doonan to lead IMSA, and he is requesting that we send in a a polite request to Mr. Doonan to have a longer race at Road America, a more endurance race rather than Indy, and he recognizes the pull of Mr. Penske uh, in this exciting new event at Indianapolis, but he's just hoping for a longer endurance race at Road America. Do you think there's any, any possibility of this in the future, John? There's been a lot of talk of this in the past, and I think with Indy coming on board, um, I don't think it really helps anybody's cause to 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 get Road America into a proper endurance race. Um, the only way I could look at it is that if IMSA, if the WeatherTech Championship uh, returns to 12 events in the future, um, and Indy becomes a Michelin Endurance Cup race, and then there's some extra space to spare. And if teams are still willing to be on board for more running hours in the in, in the race, maybe you can pull in pull Indy to be a you know six eight hour enduro, and then have Road America go to a, a thousand um, go to a five hundred mile race or or a four hour race as they had in the past, um, and that could potentially be a sixth Endurance Cup round. Again, just pure speculation. I, I don't think this is really on IMSA's immediate radar. I, I think this is probably something that could be considered in the future if if teams are on board for something like this. But it would make it kind of 
nice to have it be a nice six endurance cup rounds, six sprint races. There is no more WeatherTech Sprint Cup Championship, as we learned over the course of the weekend. This is the final year for it. Um, IMSA uh, electing to forego it due to lack of interest. But um, yeah, I, I, if I had my vote, I think I would probably would like to see an endurance race at Road America over Indy. But I certainly appreciate and understand Roger Penske's um, decision and and pull to have something like that um, at Indy. And we know there will be an endurance race there in 2024. Don't know the length of that race yet, though. But um, thanks for your question. Yeah, and it's it's certainly exciting to see IMSA kind of playing around with the different lengths of races in the future and leaving that door open. Uh, I suppose it's better to have an open door than a shut one right in the beginning. So uh, we will just have to stay tuned on that. Our final couple questions come from Sam L. He was watching the IMSA race at Road America this weekend and noticed that the number 25 BMW M Team RLL car stopped on track early in the race before continuing, and the TV broadcast noted that the race was about to go full course yellow and then didn't, and it was quickly waved away and went green. From our understanding, the, the 25 car was suffering from an issue of some sort, stopped on track offline to try to power cycle the car, and they got it going again just as the DPIs were starting to pass them. And it did look like on the TV broadcast that there was indeed a full course yellow display that was then quickly wiped away. John, you were there at the track in the media center. What did you notice? The media center is right next to race control and timing and scoring. And I did not see any yellow waved. Um, there was no yellow on the the, uh, the start finish stand at all. Um, I think that had to be a, a graphics error because even the footage that I was watching was the international feed and um, there was nothing on there. It must have been something on NBC's part, um, unfortunately, that might have led to an error. Um, I know IMSA had their eyes on it for sure because um, it probably was only a few seconds away from going yellow. But um, as far as I know, there was no um, yellow that was canceled. Sam L's second question is in regards to IMSA's new point system that was implemented a couple seasons ago, especially adding qualifying points. Do you think it was a good change or do you prefer the old system? John, what's your take on this? I know we're heading into the final couple of rounds of the season. We've had the better part of two seasons to kind of digest this new system. What's your take on it? Yeah, this is the second year we've had this, but um, I, I'm still not a fan of, of the, the point system. Um I, I like the the fact of qualifying points. I think that's good. I think we should also get points for fastest lap. Um, that would give some extra incentive from drivers to sort of give it their all in 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 some of the in the races. But um, I just don't like the way points are distributed. Um, they basically multiplied the old system, which was a legacy of Grand Am, by ten, and so you have three hundred fifty points for a win, and where it used to be thirty five, and it just goes down from there. I I, I think moving to something more uniform, maybe um, sharing the system with the FIA and what's used in the, in the world endurance championship would make a lot of sense, especially as we're getting closer and closer with convergence and, and, and common regulations and all, all that stuff. Um, it would be nice to sort of see that happen. Unfortunately, I don't think that's in the plans for next year. Um, IMSA has their, their decisions to be doing it this way. And we have to sort of respect that, but um, just, talking to people in the paddock over the last couple of years, I don't think many people are really fans of this format. Um, just the number format. I, I think people do like the the points for qualifying, but maybe it could be done in a little more efficient manner where it's a little easier to follow throughout the year. 
Absolutely. You know, heading into this weekend, you would look at, say, you were a fan of the 0-1 crew, right? And you're looking at them and they're third in the championship, 150 some odd points down before Road America. And you'd say, boy, 150, that's uh, that's season over. But in fact, it's a lot closer. So, you know, it can maybe be a little bit confusing in that regard. But yeah, I, I agree with you, John. I think a little bit of convergence in the point system would make a lot of sense, especially given the trajectory that the World Endurance Championship and the IMSA WeatherTech Championship are headed in trying to align themselves with one another. Yeah, absolutely. As always, we appreciate you writing in all your questions and we love answering them. If you have a question you'd like us to answer right here on the show, be sure to post it in the comment section below this episode or take to Twitter and post your question using the hashtag AskDoubleStint and we'll put our heads together to answer it in an upcoming episode. Let's give you a quick preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing, or rather, what's not coming up in the world of sports car racing. No action on track this next week, so next episode uh, we'll be covering a lot of news and questions to be sure, but then uh, we won't have to wait too long before some action gets going again the following week. That's it for us this week on the podcast. If you have the time, we'd greatly appreciate a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. It really helps out the show. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. For John DeGeese, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you right back here next week for another edition of Double Stint.